0: Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 134th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds podcast. And today we are going to be talking about recognising the needs of carers and as you know, this month's theme is all about recognition and recognising different groups and to join me in doing this is Anita Powell. Anita grew up in Bedford, England, UK. She is currently a community engagement advocate based in Bedford and her career has included working on and off in the voluntary and community sectors. She has a natural internal interest working with and around social issues and injustices and she's worked on causes and jobs working with women, men, including young people with mental ill health, ex-offenders, long-term unemployed, people who are going through the menopause and refugees. She's the founder of the Menopause Alliance, formed in 2019 and currently an online peer group in Facebook. But before the COVID-2020 pandemic, she organised face-to-face meetings. She's also the co-founder of Black Women in Menopause with Nina Kuipers, and you can check Nina out on episode 111, where they organise discussion Zoom sessions for specifically for Black women on a range of topics to decrease the taboo around menopause. She's the co-founder of community radio station Bedford Radio, and she's also a women's officer for the Labour Party within Bedford. And she's a speaker on menopause, community ethnic minorities, and women's issues she was awarded the I am inspiring award in 2016 by Evans Garnier and Marie Claire magazine for her community work and community radio show and if you want to know more about that there is a link in the show notes and her current community radio show Disability Matters, Anita talks about being the mother of an autistic child. She was also a child carer of a parent with a disability and she also identifies as being dyslexic. And when she has time, which she's going to tell us about, she tries to draw, paint, sew, make, mosaics and read. So Anita, a huge welcome to the show.
1: Oh, hello. Hello
0: we're really delighted to have you and i've just read out your bio and i've talked a little bit about you but i think it'd be great for listeners to hear more about you yourself and your purpose in life In your words
1: myself i'm a 40 i think i'm 48 it gets to a point you sometimes get a bit blurred i'm a 48 woman um i'm also um, a single mother I've currently started a new job, actually, as a community engagement advocate for a charity. But previously to that, I was self-employed and worked on those community projects. I'm a co-founder of Community Radio Station, and I've also done other stuff around other community radio stations. Um, I'm a carer for uh, my son, who has is on the autistic spectrum. Um, I also was a carer for my father before he passed away of cancer. So I've I've done caring roles and I've done all kinds of different roles, really, as a person. My purpose in life, I would say my purpose in life is to do things that make not only me happy, it makes other people happy as well. So it's not necessarily people pleasing. I I think I've got a kind of puristic view of the world that'd be great if everyone looked after each other. So I do a lot of stuff around equality and activism and try and support people who don't have a voice in society. And I think that that's that's actually enriching to us all, um, not just for the individuals who are sometimes devalued on things which they have no control over.
0: Yeah, Anita, and sadly, what you've just said about giving people who don't have a voice in mainstream society, it's becoming worse, isn't it? And I feel that that gulf's really growing. And what you've said is that it makes it better for you as an individual and for society as a whole. I think that's so poignant. Definitely,
1: definitely,
0: definitely. And so you've talked about having a you know very varied and wide career whilst caring for your family as a parent and both as a, as a, as a child, as an adult child or as a child. How have you managed to juggle it all, Anita?
1: It's not easy, (laughs) Um, and one of the things that I've had to do is I've had to learn to say the words no. Sometimes you're put in position, when you're supporting people and caring for people, there are sometimes people who actually don't need support, they don't need care. They sometimes jump into your life wanting you to support them. So I've had to develop the skill set to not only say no, it's to also differentiate that there are different types of people in the world, some people who need support and help, some relationships you have need to be mutual relationships. So if you're helpful to them, they do need to actually be helpful back. And some relationships are ones which you keep at arm's length because they take way more than they give. But the person actually is capable of, you know, maintain. If some people take more than they, they should really. <laughs>
0: yeah does sense? I, it does and and within that you know how have you managed to find space for yourself in all of it because you know like you said to me earlier when you have been a carer at any stage in your life often then what happens is people just see you as a carer when you're a whole person with needs and hobbies and desires and interests and intelligences so how have you managed to kind of get past those stereotypes if you like or um challenge other people on that even though it shouldn't be the carer's role I'd, I'd really love to know more about that
1: i mean for instance when it comes to allocating time for yourself it is hard it's definitely definitely hard to juggle everything what i've i've had to develop a change of mindset in certain things because i'm also also single parent so when i was caring for my father um, and i was also a single parent the things that I enjoyed doing very often were around my kids or around other parents who had kids, and I created um, or, or had a lot of friendships which were similar in networking. With, you know, you know, people helped out with childcare. You know, if you went on holiday, I went on holiday with some of my other single parent friends. Sometimes I needed a break, oh. so um, some of my friends helped me looked after my family and things like that so for me it was really important to kind of find a network of people who could support me but also i supported them as well so it was it was an equal relationship i also developed hobbies and interests that were manageable um, I found it really impossible to do things like go to the gym, so I bought gym equipment and when the kids went to bed, I used to exercise at home, when I got around to it, exercise at home. Um, I started to love my garden, so my, I created a she shed in my garden I used to draw and, art and do all kinds of art, because I like art in my garden, I used to enjoy growing things, uh, and I also encouraged my children to participate in some of my interests and hobbies, so I, I'm an art, I like art a lot. So I used to take my kids when they were younger to art museums and all kinds of things like that in London and day trips and things like that, which I enjoy and they developed an interest in as well. Um, But it's hard, it's hard to forge that time to focus on you and you have to sometimes make changes you can't go out socializing every weekend if you have no one to take care of the person you're caring for or your children, but you can. You know, arrange to go and visit friends who have children and, and they can come visit you or do activities which you enjoy doing, but you might have to do them on your own.
0: Mm, so I think being realistic, but also recognising what you need and finding a way that'll work for you. So I really like the way you said you, you love art. So you'd go with your children uh, to see art, art exhibitions and they learnt and you had um, could have conversations about that. So, I mean, it's being a family, but I think it's easier said than done in the modern day, isn't it?
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely.
0: So you talked about and I know you've won an award. You've won a Marie Claire Award and you, for your community radio. And you've talked about how it's built your confidence. So I'd really love to know how did you get involved in community radio? and really how you found that it built your confidence
1: community radio even though community radio is not necessarily valued with regards to the media output that's out there because we've got so much media out there um community radio for me was really great because i had been taking care of my father for quite a few years before he passed away i'd been out in the work market and i and i was used to being around mums with kids or with kids so for me I volunteered at a community radio station, initially behind the microphone, and then I went on to do a community radio show, uh, which I did for um, uh, just over a year. And it built my confidence and also my communication skills, because first of all, you have to develop the skill of being analytical. You have to develop the skill to articulate your thoughts and feelings and also understand that the world you live in looks different to you if you're on the other side of the coin, even though you're both looking at the same coin. So very often I would talk to people and, and interview people who on a topic might have totally different views to me. And if you're interviewing them, you have to be able to process that it's different for them. And that's something which was quite new for me. It, it gave me a greater understanding of the logic of thinking in somebody else's shoes. Confidence-wise, because I'm naturally a curious person, it just developed my skill to express my curious interests or my curious, I I just wasn't allowed to be nosy, I'll I'll be honest with you. And people (laughs) responded well to be nosy. They allowed me to ask them questions because I was interviewing them. Um, And that built my confidence. And because I was able to listen back, you're able to be analytical about how you come across and that can also give you insight into, you know, sometimes we forget that the pe- the world, when they look at you and when they hear you, is different than what you see and what you hear. And that's what community radio gave to me. It gave me understanding of the location that I lived in. It gave me understanding of different views and also it gave me an understanding of how I view things because I was able to listen back to my conversation.
0: I love that point about being nosy because you're right and also people love talking about themselves if you give them the space to do that and you make it really safe like we do with podcasting Anita it just it it just really is a great way of building relationships and scratching that curiosity itch isn't it Yeah definitely now, you're also a founder of Menopause Alliance, and um, do check out episode 111 with Nina Kuypers, because I know you also work with her about uh, Black Women Menopause. So, I think as well, thinking about being a carer, having your own needs, and then everyone's menopause journey is different, as we know. So, some people may experience menopause with minimal um, impacts to their mental and physical health. But just thinking about what do you think the challenges are in terms of mental well being, going through the menopause, being a carer, having caring responsibilities. Um, with the f- with the lens of uh, black global majority and diaspora communities as well
1: i mean the because i don't provide any medical support i'm not a medical person um, i don't work in the, the medical field my engagement with menopause is about discussing the taboo it's about creating a space where women can say the word menopause and how they feel and not feel that they'll be judged or people will feel uncomfortable. So for me, the obstacle with regards to it is just getting people to open up and understanding it's okay to talk about stuff because when you're talking about menopause sorry if a man's going to listen to this no when you're talking about menopause,
0: <laughs> don't be have- sorry Anita <laughs> we need to do this don't we because <laughs> you're talking not just
1: about the fact that your hormone imbalances has changed because that's what it is you have a depletion of certain hormones when you're going through the menopause it's the opposite of puberty in
0: mm-hmm. you know, of your, um, menstruation, when menstruation, menstruation begins, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the
1: total opposite. So you have a depletion and because of that hormonal depletion, it can have an amazing knock on effect on your wellbeing. Um, and also as well as your physical being, so it can have effect on your bladder. It can have effect. I mean, like I've, I've got a problem at the moment, which I've just found out we've got a solution. I've had a problem for ages. I've got sleep apnea and i've never been a great sleeper but as i've entered the menopause it's got dramatically worse and i was talking to someone and what they said possibly because when you go for the menopause the depletion hormones has an impact on your your muscle tone because it's harder to gain muscle and yeah. to retain muscle and it could be the area around my nose and mouth area that that has something to do with breathing, breathing has become floppier and it's made it harder for me to breathe. Now it's not directly connected to the menopause but the menopause has aggravated a situation that's already there. So now I have to use a oxygen machine at night time because my sleep apnea has dramatically got worse with menopause. So that, that's, that's like one example you, somebody might not Feel comfortable to talk to people about, um, but it affects all kinds of things. Your periods, it can affect um, your moods because a lot of lot of women go for anxiety, and there's a biological element as well as a psychological element. So the biological element is the hormonal kind of roller coaster, as we know, with teenagers can have a dramatic effect on how your well being is on a biological level, and sometimes taking. HRT or doing different things around improving your hormone level can improve your mindset but you have to actually do them and you have to acknowledge the fact that you have an issue mentally with regards to anxiety or whatever but also there's an anxiety level where people are embarrassed because they're sweating because they've got hot flushes and that that impact is so bad that some women in certain positions leave their jobs because they feel so embarrassed, sweating in the middle of an office of, say, for instance, men. And that sometimes is so detrimental, not only to women's careers, it's their, their confidence. And, and, that's, and just being able to talk and understand, it's really common and actually to help reduce that anxiety, you have to change your mindset, but also you might have to open up conversations with people so that they understand and they don't judge you.
0: And then adding to that, you know, all the things you've said, and then you've got, you know, people very often particularly we know that women are more likely to have caring responsibilities and the menopause and of course it could happen at any time in your life as we know with the menopause potentially there is an increased likelihood of course that perimenopause starts in the 40s and then menopause happens in the 50s but that's not the same across the board but then you add to that Anita caring responsibilities and you know you mentioned anxiety so you've got your own anxiety things going on in your body and then you're looking after people and caring for people Um, and it can be really difficult to ask for help so I mean you know how could people navigate that do you have any information to share because I think that's a really challenging one
1: I think with regards to the the problem with carers is that they spend too much time not too much time they spend all their time caring for others and they don't sometimes care for themselves so it's really important I mean myself and Nina what we're trying to do is to create a space where people can have that conversation because conversations are really important for you to understand how to care for yourself. Because as as a society, we don't talk about the menopause. So you actually don't know how to care for yourself. You don't necessarily know that changing certain foods or reducing certain things um, with regards to your diet, exercising more, weightlifting is really um, good for women going through the menopause because it has an impact in relation to their bones you know, all the importance of sleep we don't actually understand that that's a necessity and that's part of everyday self-care so women who are carers need to allocate time to understand the menopause and that will enable them to look after themselves but it's about time it's about giving that time and actually sitting down um, and separating time for you Um, away from time with other people and if you don't do that then you also need someone to take care of you because your your joints and and all these different things are impacted by you not taking care of yourself so that's really important
0: yes and you're absolutely right because when you were talking I was just thinking what you said is so spot on because we can read things and we can look at things and we can think I should do this and I should do that but as you said it's a conversation space that you and Nina hold that enables people to hear lots of really good correct information and then make decisions for themselves so it's so empowering as opposed to do this do that take this supplement do this do that which can just again make you feel like oh gosh I've got to add to my to-do list
1: yeah yeah you do as a carer, you need to not only learn about how to care for the person you're caring for, when you're going through the menopause, you actually need to learn how to care for yourself, and I mean, I've, the whole thing's been a learning curve for me, so I'm still, initially, when I found a, out that I was probably perimenopause because I, I was had those different problems and when I read up about it and I spoke to other women I realised you know what I'm the right age the stuff that I'm going through is perimenopause I initially wanted to do it through natural ways so through diet and through exercise but that's actually really hard and sometimes you can't do it that way. sometimes you need to go to the doctor and you need to get the doctor to prescribe you describe prescribe to you medication that helps with your hormonal imbalance. But you need to have that knowledge because the doctors don't offer it. That's the reality. Most doctors, even though they talk about it more now, they're not really very upfront about the conversation around menopause and about how women should deal with menopause. Um, so I'm in this situation now where I actually want to try the medical route because I'm struggling on the natural route. It's not, it's not helping me fully, but women need to know to explore that, be confident to actually to um question their doctors because not all doctors are helpful when it comes to the menopause
0: yeah I've heard that so many times Um, and then we add the culture element into it and the lack of understanding in Nina and this will be really familiar to you Anita but talking about um, hair types we're talking about what is your diaspora background in terms of your heritage and the diet you have and the food you want to eat and what's beneficial and the really big gap in information around that as well and how people are advised incorrectly if they're not from a white British background and and then you add in menopause to that
1: Definitely. And also with regards to, because I do community work and I'm a community worker. One thing I've also noticed that there is there's an element of social um, issues with regards to the menopause. Working class women, women of colour are just not, not offered support. And just as we've seen with say things like COVID, we're more prone in a certain way to need support because we're more likely to experience social inequality so we're more likely to live in housing which is maybe not the best we're more likely to work in certain jobs and things like that which actually can aggravate menopause but we're less likely to be supported we're less likely to be educated um and also as a community as a communities were less likely to engage in a topic because the taboos are still quite strong in certain communities
0: so true it's so so true um and your point about the jobs that that people do and if we then add in the race racism and racist impact and we know stress uh and mental ill health are a result of racism many of the time and then how that impacts on your body how your body will speak the mind um all these knock-on effects so yeah so important to think about that um as you said and for you know for people if you're thinking about allyship you know this is a really important part of allyship as well so what do you think workplaces can do then, going back to thinking more about the caring side of things, to genuinely support staff who have caring responsibilities in workplaces? What I think
1: <laughs> workplaces should do, they sh- the human resources part of the workplace should create a menopause policy, something in black and white which clearly outlines how the organisation Um, manages the topic of menopause and I think that's really important that all organizations do that rather than rely on individual managers to deal with a menopausal woman I think a policy is really key I think also as well it'd be good to organize a menopause education day or a session where if they were, if, well, everyone could turn up. It's not just about the women. Everyone turns up and they have a discussion around menopause and how it can have an impact on the workplace. Yeah, so I think that would be a really good idea. Also, it could be that if there's a notice board somewhere or somewhere, prob, you know, like in, in the, the bathroom, et cetera, put a poster up talking about the menopause. Now, you can actually get a free poster from the organisation who run a campaign called Know Your Menopause. And you can print it off the computer and then just stick it on the wall. And it gives that basic information on on the menopause. And it just creates that, that kind of visual conversation. People see it, they might not respond to it, but it's there in the back of their mind. So, yeah, so that's what I would recommend workplaces do. If you do all that, that even if... A manager is not 100% sure on how to to deal with a situation where they have a woman who needs support. There's a protocol within the organisation to start from. And I think that that'd be quite beneficial.
0: Brilliant. So that's the menopause side. And what about for people who have caring responsibilities, particularly those caring for elderly uh, relatives? Because, again, I think with children, Usually people choose to have children. There tends to be more flexibility, not always, but I think it's really challenging for people who are caring for elderly relatives and dependents. What what do you think workplaces could do there to genuinely support people?
1: Okay, so I think with regards to workplaces, they have to have compassion to the job of being the carer. It's not something which is optional. It's not something that only takes two hours a day. Most carers are on alert 24-7. So a, a compassionate employer is needed and they have to be flexible. They have to understand that if you need to go off because there's a, an emergency, then they have to kind of accommodate that within the working practice and within that person's time. But compassion is the most important thing. The last thing you want to do is an employer who had working for you for say 10 years the last thing you want to do is to lose that knowledge because they can't care for their role and support your organization and it could be that if you work with the employee that they can still make a massive contribution to your organization as well as be an effective carer so i think compassion, understanding And really appreciating the knowledge that that employee has can make a positive impact all round. Because for some carers, going to work is a break. They actually Mm -hmm. want to have conversations, which which is beyond feeding and changing or, or medication. And sometimes it's really hard being a carer, looking after someone who's suffering. You know, it's really emotionally hard to care for someone you love and you can either see deterioration in their health i know for me watching my father and and, you know your your father or your your parents are so important to you as you can imagine and your father's that kind of male masculine figure but before he passed away i was feeding him like a child that Mm. emotionally is so hard and for some carers going to work is a break And I think if you invest in your employees and you care about employees, then give them leeway and accommodate their needs. And I think you will retain a really good employee who will be appreciative of the fact that you gave them that leeway or space to care as well as work for you.
0: And that's the thing, compassion, sadly, it's very common sense, but it's not always common practice, is it? And that whole thing that you said, and you don't just do two hours a day and stop it's co- it's also constantly on your mind absolutely going to work for a rest being able to focus on something else so th- this is crucial and I think with long COVID we still don't know what the with the longer term impacts are um, There are going to be a lot of people in that situation I think caring for others who've had you know for all sorts of reasons but I think long COVID is going to play into that I don't know what your thoughts are
1: I mean, definitely. I mean, I had long COVID. It was was, (laughs) to add to my list of things. Mm. I had low COVID. It was, I was on an inhaler for a year and a half because I had it at the very beginning because I had breathing problems. So I my job as a carer, I had to care for others while I was struggling. And it's really hard work. And I do know that loads of people have left jobs because they physically can't do them anymore. And now their partners or their children, because loads of children become carers, and it's really stressful on being a child carer because I care for a son who's on the spectrum, and therefore my daughter, who's two years older, is also his carer. And that was really hard work. She loves her brother. She loves him to bits, and they're best friends. But she was only two years his senior, and she had to nurture him as if, you know, he was a lot younger than her sometimes. Um, and that's hard work and quite stressful on young people. So um, long COVID is going to have, or is having a massive effect on people. And we don't know the future of long COVID. Um, we don't know the future of COVID full stop. Um, but yet employees need to be compassionate. It's a
0: must. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Anita. Nathan. I'm, I'm pleased that you've recovered. That sounds really scary and horrible. So Anita, you mentioned it a bit earlier, but you're an extremely busy person. We've talked about your caring responsibilities, the work that you do with community radio, the work that you do with uh, Black Menopause and beyond. So as this super busy person, what are your top three tips for looking after your own mental health and well-being?
1: Talking with friends or with a partner, um, that to me, I think is really important, that conversation you have. And I don't know about other people, but sometimes you're so busy doing things but I go out, say, for instance, with an evening with some friends and it's it's like an energy boost the next day for me. So socialising, talking, um, just sharing time with important people for me is my emotional boost. Telling people no, I think sometimes is something that people underestimate as a must um, because you can take on 28 hours worth of work, there's only 24 hours in the day, and you still have to sleep. So, that skill set of saying no, I think, is definitely important. And allocating time for downtime and self care, those I think are the three important things that I have to do. Yeah, that's what I have to do with regards to maintaining my mental health. I have to allow time. Um, and ensure that I do those particular things.
0: Thank you, Anita. That's really, really helpful. And finally, just to say, I'll include all the links in the show notes, but if people want to know more about your work with Community Radio, Black Menopause and Beyond, anything else you do, how should they get in contact with you? How would you like them to connect with you on social media, et cetera?
1: The best one is my Twitter. So my Twitter handle is I am Anita IamAnitaPowell. It's, it's that simple. That's the best way. Um, yeah
0: i've also Um, got i've also got in the show notes the um i've included the black menopause and beyond but were there any other links or websites that you okay
1: um well my community radio station i co-founded is called bedford radio and the 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 http is really easy Mm -hmm. it's bedford.radio but actually if you go to my social media i've got linked tree which has got all my Uh, um it's got everything on there in relation to some of the things i've done and whatever so i I say go to my twitter and then click on my linked tree because i could be here all day Uh, (laughs) (laughs)
0: brilliant okay so that's good so the handle is I am Anita Powell on Twitter and Anita thank you so much for that conversation for being really really open and honest and I know this will be so useful to listeners people who are carers people who are having going through their menopause journey so just thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your energy
1: okay thank you thank you very much for having
0: me and we'll see you in the next episode everyone until then take care Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune in to next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.